Alright everybody, uh, we're back. Welcome to Going Places Episode 9. Camden Clark Hill. Daniel Price. And uh, we have a good episode planned for you today. We have a special guest. Uh, we've, uh, we're at uh, the Wise File Studio. That's been our uh, sponsor we've shouted out for the last few episodes. With a very interesting person. He's the owner. Uh, he's a very smart person. Uh, he handles the media in Blacksburg a lot. He has his website, Blacksburg Now. If you live in Blacksburg, you probably know about it. Uh, he's the president of Blacksburg Business Association. Uh, he's formerly done work for the now defunct Libertarian Party of Cherokee County. And he's also does ministry work. And he is just a great person to talk to, an excellent conversationalist, Thomas Doval. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Glad to be here today. Yes, sir. So, uh, tell me about yourself. What do you, what do, you do? Uh, what do I do? Um, well, all those nice things you just spit out. Uh, and then I'm also a father of three children. Um, married, of course. Um, and I, I'm, I'm pretty much the go-to guy for almost everyone in all of my circles. And uh, the circles are pretty big, both here in South Carolina and even some out in the Midwest and some international. Um, but uh, that story starts, like, you know, probably when I was 11 years old, uh, when I got saved in church. And I said yes, not just to becoming a Christian and to following God, but yes to ministry uh, at large. And I discerned from a very early age a call to ministry. And um, that has just impacted every decision I've had, every job that I've had, every, every relationship that I carry on. Um, I take things very, very, I take relationships very seriously, very personally. Uh, I, I tend to care very deeply about not just the people that I interact with, but also the institutions I'm a part of. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a 100% guy. I don't, I don't know how to just give 10%. I don't know how to give just 20%. It's, it's an all or nothing kind of deal. So uh, I stay pretty busy. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, you also do some work for the town council as far as... Well, yes. Uh, so because my business is here in Blacksburg, um, everything that goes on, a lot of people like, like I will never understand people that are like, oh, I just don't care about government and politics. Like if you live in a country that, that has a government, uh, then you should care about what that government's doing because it impacts not just your personal life, but if you're a business owner, it greatly impacts like what you can do as a business owner and how you can conduct a business. And it impacts all the, the factors that ultimately come back to hit your bottom line. Uh, so after we, once we did start Wise Fire here, the coffee shop and bookstore, um, I very quickly, you know, started getting involved down at town hall, uh, trying to figure out, you know, just trying to find the ordinances that are relevant to my business or, you know, what's going on in town, what's up with this problem, what do we do about this, how do we approach these kind of things. Um, and so through that process, you know, I've been here now three years, so we've gone through um, at least one big, actually two elections in the town council. And uh, I'm not a citizen. I don't live in the town limits of Luxembourg, so I don't get a vote in that. But because I do have a business that is a, a heavy foot traffic business and uh, in town, and you know, we're one of the few places in the town that you can come and hang out, and you know, we're, we're the place everybody comes to figure out what's going on. You know, <laughs> definitely. And uh, so, so because of that, we kind of get drug into the middle of the elections, whether we want to endorse a candidate or not. And I think the closest I ever come to like endorsing a candidate for uh, local office in Blacksburg was was it not last election, but the one before. 
Um, I, I was I was one of the ones that very early on was trying to talk Christy Gibson over District 2 into running right. uh, because she was a business owner, but she just had a very, the thing I loved about her was she was a very level-headed person, right? Like, she doesn't take things personally, and I was like, that's what we need in local politics. You know? <laughs> someone who is a business owner, someone who knows how to balance budgets, uh, someone who knows that taxes hurt everyone. Uh, and someone that, you know, can keep a level head. So, like, that's the closest I think we've ever even come to, like, endorsing a candidate. Uh, we try not to get involved in the mayor race and the big stuff that, you know, drags all the feelings and emotions out. But, uh, but yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I'm starting to try to get involved in the politics here in Blacksburg as well. Um, for It's nothing short of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always happening. Uh, it can get a little bit personal at times. But, well, uh, people make it personal, right? Yeah. Like, um, and this is like, I know one of the things you want to talk about was about me being a libertarian, and this is, this is a good segue into that, right? Because as a libertarian, I can, you know, like, for example, libertarians, we absolutely, like, despise socialism, right? But I have friends who subscribe to socialist principles. I, I don't hate that person, right? I can detest their ideology, but I can still, like, want good things for them. Uh, which is why I'm also, I, I don't, I've never considered myself just a libertarian. I am a Christian libertarian, right? Because there are, like, the weird people that, like, use libertarianism and anarchy as an excuse to just kind of do whatever you want, live however you want, regardless of consequences to other people. Uh, and the, the libertarianism that I subscribe to, I am first a Christian, second a libertarian. Uh, Christian affects my walk with God personally. Libertarian affects the part that Jesus said, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just it just means I believe in you know uh, letting people make the decisions that impact them, right, to the degree that it doesn't necessarily overflow onto their neighbor. Um, so so yeah, so like that's one of the the great things there is like so in small towns a lot of times just because you don't vote for a certain candidate, they take it personally and they think that you're saying they're a bad person, right? Like, there's, there's, there's a few politicians, and we'll say the county. We'll make us a little bit bigger right now, right? Like, there's, there's a person in our county government right now that they're a great parent. They're probably a great spouse. They have, like, a, they're a really good friend, but they're a really terrible elected official, right? Like, you can be good at 15 things over here and be terrible at government. Like, it, it just, you know, and, and, and just because you're not willing to vote for a person doesn't mean you're saying that person is terrible, just that they're not good for the job. I think that's the the danger with local politics is like you you very quickly devolve into tribalism, um, and you guys know about this because you're in middle school, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> tribalism is the click system, right? It's like yeah. it's uh, we have our little group and they're our family, and it's the you know it's the what is it the friends or the family you choose, and you form these tribalistic ties. And if anyone says anything negative at all about a member of the tribe, well then you go to war, even if that thing that they said was a hundred percent accurate. Yep. <laughs> right. One thing about local politics in a very small town, what's the population? It's less than 2,000. Yeah, it's like yeah, we, uh, it's we, a little over 1,000. It was like 1880 at like last year's estimate, and I know the we don't have our census data until September of this year from the last census, uh, but it is it did go up a little bit, but I think we're still under 2,000. So the problem with that is the upside, you know, everybody talks about why they love small towns is because everybody knows everybody. Well, that's not about <laughs> its downsides. Yeah. The problem is you know everybody, and oftentimes when there are people in positions a powerful small town. Mm-hmm. Things can uh, get a little chippy when somebody, when you, like you said, you may they may be an excellent spouse, they may be an excellent parent, but they may not be good as an elected official. So then, where do you draw the lines between a political 
and personal or, or personal and professional yeah, it's, line. it's definitely hard because like especially when you for people who like live in the small town that they grew up in right because they remember some of their first elections were like Miss Congeniality it was homecoming queen it was like popularity contest yes. right. and so then literally. like if they yeah literally they were literally popularity contests uh, and so if they've never moved away if they've never and, and the po- importance of moving away is not that like the rest of the world's better than our small town right, right? the importance is is something that I've always carried with me um, in my religious views as well right because I grew up Pentecostal holiness uh, in a town that is predominantly Baptist um, so I was always a religious minority. Uh, we were the different ones. There was literally, I think at the high school, there were like three of us that were of the same kind of denomination I come from the background of. So like we always, anytime a conversation would come up, we were the ones on the outside. So we always knew uh, what it felt like to be different. And so people that grew up in a small town, they definitely know persecution because they know being picked on for you know your teeth or your hair or like these, these other things. But until you've like lived somewhere that you don't have a good old buddy system to draw, to lean into, you don't have the tribe there to protect you, you don't always understand how important um, things like civil rights are, human rights, right? (laughs) Because like, and again, this is for me, this is why I'm a libertarian, like I think the right thing is right no matter who you are and where you come from, Uh, and part of that is because I've I've been a minority on several different levels at different places in my life, because I've moved around a lot, lived in different places. Uh, even been a racial minority, you know, when I'm over in Africa and I'm like, there's like two white guys in a sea of 10,000 uh, very, very dark-skinned Western Nigerians, you know? Yeah. Uh, so like, you know, I know what it's like to be the only one in the room, you know, with that racial demographic. It's a, a joke that, you know, people on the left, we use America, white people don't know what it's like. Like, you know, we do if we travel, you yes. know? If you do, it's, if you it's travel, absolutely you possible. <laughs> or if you pay attention to the media. Yeah. So, for the people who may not know about libertarianism, which... We talk, knowing, we talk we, we've talked about, about it. it before, but we didn't quite go into a lot of depth of it. Uh, you've been very involved mm-hmm. in it. You, you're very educated. Uh, can you pretty much describe the big picture yeah. of that and some of its positions? So the caricature of libertarianism, right, uh, the way that the media paints it up is libertarians are failed Republicans who smoke pot. <laughs> that's go. like that's the caricature that's of and, and I apologize to Camden and Daniel's bombs that are listening to this because I just said the P word. You know? uh, no, they'll find. But uh, <laughs> that's the caricature that the media paints up libertarians. The reality is uh, libertarian – now, libertarianism as a philosophy goes back to Bastiat. It goes back to a lot of different political philosophers, Milton, Friedman. You go into these guys. But the party itself was founded in 1971. And that's like a good launching place for understanding how necessary libertarianism is. And it's because that's the year that we went off of sound money. Like one of the founding principles of the Libertarian Party was fiat currency is dangerous and will lead to, you know, a collapse of everything eventually. And the Republican Party just didn't care and the Democratic Party just didn't care. So Libertarians, uh, Libertarian Party rather, in 1971 when it was founded, was founded on three principles. But the biggest one was like, hey guys, this fiat currency is going to catch up with us. Um, they also, of course, were founded on personal freedom because, you know, in the 1970s, coming out of the Watergate scandal, you had government already trying to eavesdrop on people. You had privacy concerns. Like, as technology was advancing, it became very clear to a lot of people that the government was going to never let you have a private conversation again. Uh, and so that was a big concern early on for the Libertarian Party. And so libertarianism... As, a, as an overarching umbrella, you know, small L libertarian, right? Because you can be a, par- a member of the party, capital L, but if you're a small L libertarian, what that means is that 
typically, and of course, you know, there's the joke of, oh, you're not a real libertarian, or no one's as libertarian as I am. Yeah. Um, but libertarianism as an ideology says that you know what is best for your life. Now, you is a fully mature adult whose prefrontal cortex is formed, right? <laughs> and it's, you're rational, you're neurotypical. It means the average human knows how to make the decisions there, and, and not just knows how, right? Because like some people don't, like there are things that can, can hold you back, but the, the average human being deserves the dignity of getting to make the decisions that, that, that are gonna impact their life, right? Because we, on the opposite scale of libertarianism is total statism. You know, so libertarianism or even anarchy, because uh, it's still on the spectrum with anarchy, true, true anarchos, uh, and meaning against an archon, meaning a ruler. Uh, and again, anarchy doesn't mean no rules, it just means no ruler. And that's, that's where you're getting into the, t the category, the territory of what libertarianism is. Libertarianism says you don't need a ruler to tell you what kind of deodorant you should wear. Like, you don't need someone to tell you, oh, you're only allowed to drink this soda. You don't need you know, someone to tell you, oh, your house has to always look exactly like this, and we're going to build all of our houses the same. Uh, and it's this you know, crazy, futuristic, dystopian nightmare of the state, which is a central authority, making all of your decisions for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's the opposite of libertarianism. So what true libertarianism is, is honestly, it's Tom Thomas Jefferson's vision for America. Um, it's the, the anti-federalist papers. It's the, the guys who said, hey, human beings... And, and again, this is where you come in from the Christian perspective. If humans are made in the image of God, right? And, and the early church fathers especially spent a good bit of time writing different ones against the practice of slavery. Uh, and one of, the, one of my favorite arguments against slavery comes from early church father, who was Irenaeus, when he, and I forget the full quote, but his, his quote basically summed down to is, if, if man is made in God's image, and you, you take a slaver, for instance, who takes a man made in God's image, he takes a little piece of the image of God and makes it a slave, a piece of property that he owns. He says there can be no greater blasphemy in all the world than to try to own God, right? Trying to, to control God. And so likewise, how much, how much more? It's the same thing as blasphemy, trying to make slaves out of men, trying to control their lives, trying to lord over them. Uh, even Jesus says, you know, uh, everyone else tries to lord over everyone, but he's you know, talking to his disciples. He says, it, it, it will not be so with you. You must not seek to lord over one another. That's what the pagans do. That's what the Romans do. Um, and so as a, as a Christian who, who comes to the philosophy of libertarianism, I see a lot of fulfillment of scriptures. I see a lot of fulfillment of God's dignity that he grants to man, of agency that he gives to people. And so when we take people's choices away from them, uh, we're taking away agency and we're taking away responsibility, honestly. Like, you know, a lot of people want to blame our cultural decline uh, on the fact that people, you know, choose to just play video games all day uh, or, you know, insert whatever argument you want to make. Um, I would argue, though, that it started a long time ago and it started when we started letting the government be our mommy and our daddy and tell us what we can and can't put in our bodies, what we can or can't drive, what we can or can't build our houses out of. Like, it gets insane. Like, do you know here in the state of South Carolina where we live, um, Cobb building, Cobb construction, because I'm, I'm a history ner a nerd, but I'm also like, I love like alternative architecture, right? Uh, Cobb houses, if you ever saw Lord of the Rings, that's what Bilbo Baggins lives in. Um, if you go to Afghanistan, right? There's like the oldest house in the world that we know of is 9,000 years old, still standing, and it's built out of Cobb. Uh, there are Cobb houses in England that are 500 years old. They're still standing. The state of South Carolina says that, oh, Cobb isn't a tested uh, scientific method of building, and so you can't build your houses in the state of South Carolina out of Cobb. 
And so we have a homeless population in the state. We have an affordable building crisis. Like, like right now, the cost of lumber is insane. Yeah. Uh, and we can't build houses out of... And, and it's amazing, too, because like we're here in Blacksburg, right? Where Blacksburg sits on iron mines and clay deposits. And then right across the, the river is Gaffney, <laughs> where it's limestone pits. Yeah. And you know how you build a cob house? You take clay, you make straw, which we have in abundance around here, and then you do a lime plaster on the outside of it. Literally, we live in the county. Cherokee County was primed to build cob houses, houses, and we can't do it because that would definitely (laughs) fix people who, as an alternative to lumber, would also fix the home. I'm sorry, my voice is kind of, but it would also fix the homeless population greatly. Oh yeah, and and the other amazing thing about cob houses is like the walls are so thick, you get passive uh, cooling in your house which is better for the environment because like right now it's like 100 degrees today so everyone's like hiding in little ice boxes in our houses and we're wasting all this energy trying to cool down houses because we build our houses out of wood because that's what the state says we can build out of uh, but cob houses are naturally if you once you get like six, six inches thick or if you do have uh, an earth sheltered house you do any of these kind of alternate designs once you get six inches thick of a wall of compacted earth or dirt um, your house will basically stay at an ambient 62 to 69 degrees on its own year round. <laughs> you know, yeah. which you think about like um, whether you buy into like climate alarmism or not, which I think is absurd. Uh, our climate clearly is changing. I don't think man's behind it. But regardless, exactly. I, I think we should probably do a better job of making sure the air we're breathing isn't toxic and poisonous. Yes. And we shouldn't be wasting energy, right? Like, like you know, waste not, won't not. Um, and it's just a bad idea to, to churn out all this energy for dumb things. Um, and so why aren't we, you know, allowing in a libertarian, you know, utopian society, you can build your house or whatever you want. And yeah, there's going to be some guy who builds his house like poorly and it falls in and kills him. Right. And he's going to die. And that's the consequence of choosing to cut corners. Uh, but people already do that. Like we already live in a society where, for example, I lived in Missouri for three years. And when we were out there, there was this um, huge project being built, this giant, the castle in Christian County, as what they'd call it. And I think the, the actual estate was called Pinsmore Estate. And I'm going to be careful what I say here because this lawsuit may still be pending. Okay. But the basic rundown is um, they were trying three new technologies uh, that would have never been tested on an industrial scale. So this guy paid like something around $60 million for this giant castle, French chateau, to be built. Well... There was a whistleblower from the construction crew who comes in and says, hey, that one technology, like the main technology they were testing, was basically um, when they poured the concrete walls, they put these twisted double helix steel fibers inside. And so the walls were supposed to be able to withstand a hit from an F5 tornado, a hit from a bomb, and the walls would flex instead of break, right? right? So, but there's a, there was a certain, like a specific ratio that you had to pour in of these helixes to the concrete mix. Well, uh... It turns out the foreman on the job or someone else, someone higher up, was stealing some and diverting it into his own house, so the amount was not going into the walls. So they actually had a guy, a whistleblower, comes out, writes a, like an anonymous message to the property owner and says, hey, just FYI, um, your house wasn't built right. They broke contract. So they, they test, they do like a core sample, and turns out, that, yeah, they, they crapped them out of it. So we live in a country that already has rules, and guess what? The house was still not built safely. Exactly. <laughs> but I think that's just... You know, I, I'm sure some way the government gets money off of the of all the, the court fees for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, but it, you could do the same thing in a free society. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all that to wrap around to you know, 
government makes rules, and you know there are some rules that, that are just common sense things, right? The golden rule, uh, which is treat your neighbors the way you want to be treated. You know, if you like sleeping at a reasonable hour, probably don't blast the radio at one in the morning at your house. You know, if you have neighbors that live close by. Uh, and on the flip side, right? Yep. If you like privacy, you probably shouldn't live in the middle of a heavily populated area, right? Like if you want a big, giant lawn full of flowers and you want to keep bees, you probably shouldn't live five feet away from the next house, right? right. Exactly. Where kids run around and like there are pets across the street and you've got houses all around you. Like obviously you want to live in the country and the country's right over there. You go buy a house, you move, it's fantastic, right? right. And that's, that's libertarianism. <laughs> There you go. That was, that was probably the favorite thing I've heard. But, so what brought you to that? Just, um, I was definitely raised by anti-authoritarian hippies. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, my dad was, um, he was a, he wasn't a, yeah, he was born in the 60s, so, you know, he would have been coming of age in the 70s, the whole free love movement, the hippie movement. Now, he was not actually, like, I don't think he ever went to, uh, Woodstock. The, the Woodstock, yeah, that was the big thing. But that is his generation. Um, and he was a criminal for most of his life. Like, my dad, um, through a long, like, series of just terrible, god-awful things that happened in his life, it set him down a very bad path where it was not um, always possible for him to get ahead through legal means so he would he had to go to the black market he he um was a you know i'm a business owner and entrepreneur and so is he the difference between us i pay taxes on all my business uh because i don't want to go i don't want the government to come and put me in a cage or take away all my assets or take my children away from me yeah um but yeah so my dad uh he never got to finish school because his dad died when he was a kid he had eight brothers and siblings brothers and sisters that he had to help take care for so he had to drop out of school go to job go to work very early uh to try to make money to help, you know, feed his siblings because uh, his mom couldn't do it by herself because of the, the decade it was. Right. And, and also, you know, Cherokee County has almost always been a very poor region. Yeah. Um, oh, and yeah. so, you know, he's dropping out at like 13 or 14 years old to go to work. And there's not a lot of work. So he would work at the sawmill, but then also he would sell pot on the side, and he would fight chickens, and he would raise dogs and sell them, and he would, you know, you nowadays they just call it the hustle, but it's doing whatever you have to do to try to get money to get ahead. And a lot of that, a lot of the stuff that's black market stuff, it is dangerous, not because it's inherently dangerous, but it's dangerous because if you get caught, the government's going to kill you for it, right? Yeah. Or they're going to, like, you know, take you away, throw you in a cage forever. Um, you know, because I mean, I'm, I'm personally against fighting chickens. I think it's horrible. I think it's, uh, I'm not a fan of that. Um, I'm not at all. But the, yeah. the biggest danger in fighting chickens was that the feds would raid you and shoot you, <laughs> you know, if, if they found out that you were doing a big, big game or something. Like prohibition. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like prohibition, right? Like, I'm not a fan of alcoholism. Alcoholism is terrible. My dad also struggled on and off with alcoholism most of his life. Um, but, like, I don't begrudge people who want to have a glass of wine, you know, be it at communion at their church or at home on their back porch you know, in the afternoon. Uh, if people want to have a drink, if they want to have four drinks, as long as you can control yourself and you're not a public nuisance, you know, I think people deserve the right. So, so, Agreed. so I was raised around, uh, I was very, very much exposed my whole life to uh, the right way of doing things, like by society standards, and then the the black market way, you know, my parents never tried to hide any of that reality from us. Um, and so I saw the good, I saw the bad, I saw the ugly, uh, but I also was able, I had a very unique window to sit back and go, you know, a lot of the stuff that my dad did 
was dangerous because of government agents, not because it was inherently dangerous. Uh, you know, like when he would work uh, under the table and build a house for someone, you know, like the house was built solid. Every structure my dad ever built as a carpenter was, was done right because my dad, he, he, you know, he couldn't read and write very well, but he knew how to build a house. Uh, he built barns. He built all kinds of structures, and they were sound. They would be even to, like, honestly, some of the stuff he built is better than some of the code that I see uh, construction agencies in this area doing nowadays. Because yeah. <laughs> um, he was taught by his grandpa or by older, older people he hung out with as a kid the old-fashioned way to do it, and some of those houses are like My grandpa can fix a car like nobody's business, but he didn't get past seventh grade. Exactly. It's, it's exactly the same thing. Uh, and my dad did too. You know, he he was a jack of all trades. He did a little bit of everything. Did some car mechanic stuff. You know, but here's the thing, right? Like, if you fix your neighbor's car, and your neighbor pays you fifty bucks, you can go to jail for that because yeah. you're not a licensed mechanic. You don't have a business license to do uh, <coughs> to do business. And if you're in, the, especially if you're in the town versus the county, um, you got to pay taxes and all this. You you know, it's it's insane. Yeah. Didn't you say Ron Paul kind of motivated you a little bit? Hmm. Yes, so the, the first election that was happening once I was 18, um, he's like, <coughs> sorry, my throat's a little bit dry. Same. Um, <clears throat> so, now, of course, I've, I was paying attention to politics uh, before I was able to vote uh, because I have an older sister who's nine years older than me, and she was incredibly politically active. And she's my half-sister, so me and her have separate moms where our dad was the same. And she grew up, um, in a lot of ways, polar opposite for me, right? So I was Pentecostal holiness, and my mom's family is heavily Republican. Um, she was raised Baptist, and her mom's family are heavily, heavily, like, deep old-school Democrats. Like, mm-hmm. deep dyed in the blue Democrats. Right? Like John F. Kennedy-type people? Uh, like, like, she absolutely voted for Hillary Clinton in the last election. Oh. Like, you know, like, <laughs> wow. blue no matter who, yeah. pretty much, you know. And I love my sister. If she's listening to this, she knows that, you know, we, we have these conversations. So, yeah, so I would be, like, 12 years old. She's almost 20, and I would be, like, debating her on how abortion is murder. And she's like, well, I personally agree with you that it's wrong, and I could never do it, but I think people should have the right to do it, right? And so she was an influence in my life very early on, not to make me a Democrat, but to make me actually have to think about what I believed. And that's what it's all about. Out. That's what that's what we do on here. Yeah, um, because you know, we would sit there and we would we would go into debates over euthanasia, you know. And I'm like 13 years old, defending <laughs> positions against or for euthanasia. That sounds like something. Like and, uh, and 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 why the Clintons really are probably killing people, you know, <laughs> the yeah. Clinton kill list. Yeah. And then uh, and and the, even though she's a Democrat, she also concedes that you know they probably really are killing people. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And uh, so, so she was she was an influence that that made me because like a lot of people's problem with politics is they've never honestly listened to an opposing opinion. Mm. That's right. <clears throat> they've never even heard the full opinion. And there's in philosophy, uh, or I should say, in, if you study logic uh, and debate, there is a position called strawmanning an argument, right? And what that means is instead of fighting your opponent directly on you know mano a mano. Uh, what you do is you take your opponent or their argument and you make a flimsy straw man version of it. And then you fight that straw man. And that's what most people in the South, and it doesn't matter if you're like Democrat or Republican, because we're in South Carolina, which is a heavy red state, 
But we have regions here that are very, very oh, yeah. blue. And they do, they do the same thing. Democrats do this as well, where they straw man their opponents' arguments. They're like, you know, Republicans just want to shoot immigrants and they hate black people. And, uh, you know, and they, I, I can't even remember all the, the insane caricatures, but like, I know people who genuinely believe this. Like, the, the people that genuinely, I know someone in this town, or I should say just outside the town limits, who genuinely believed that Trump was a Russian agent and was working to, like, sell out America to a KGB. Like, like it's, it's insane. Huh? <laughs> and it's, exactly. it's because... Oh, like, did they have, like, a reason why they came up with that? Or, like... Because they're, like, fourth-generation Democrat. And so they only listen to CNN or MSNBC, and they take it as true. And they don't think about it. Like, know? what you were saying, like, a few minutes ago about, you know, learning about the opposing opinion stuff. I know multiple people who are my age, and some people are adults, and they hear stuff their parents say about it and they hear like a few things their family members saying about it and whatever they say is 100 percent right that's it yeah and it could be the most out there thing ever but it's 100 percent true yeah and yeah. i've had the weirdest conversations with people on what they believe <laughs> me too i think i know because we live around here and it really gets annoying mm-hmm. like i like postulate i always have i always stay on the conservative side i'll consider myself kind of center right but but I have a good reason for it. And you have so many people around here, well, you know, just it is what it is because that's what mom and daddy taught me. But they don't do any free thinking for themselves. Not that, you know, and a lot of these people, you know, my age, just, they still have plenty of time. But at the same time, that doesn't mean they still have to just stay in this little confounded box almost. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I walked in here, it was during the 20, 2020 election, you had your Jill Jorgensen sign. Yeah. Now I yeah. knew full well who Jill <laughs> Jorgensen was, and I thought that was just awesome. I thought this place could be all metro because you, you know. <laughs> oh, then, somebody. But I'm, I'm just glad, I'm glad you're on the right, that I'm glad you're not on the left, but I'm glad, I'm more glad I'd rather be a Democrat than a hardcore Republican, like very diehard that. Like, uh, yeah. Well, the Republicans who don't think about their positions, they yeah. just do what they're told. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like as if, like, like, um, almost to say that no matter what, like, there can be no bipartisanship. There can be no fault mm-hmm. in one, and there can <laughs> only be nothing but fault in the others. Oh, yes. Like, the Republicans and Trump can do no wrong. Political martyrdom. And the yeah. Democrats and whoever their leader supposedly it's just the most closed minded people can can do can do nothing that isn't wrong. Mm-hmm. Now look, um you know, personally, you know, I've supported, you know, Donald Trump in the last two elections. But there are, I I'm I have no problem admitting, well, you know, he probably he probably could have done this or he, he probably <laughs> could have done that. But yeah, I'll, I'll tell you if I can, my biggest criticism to Donald Trump as a libertarian, right, is that a lot of the good things he did, and I was screaming this when he did them, um, and a lot of the Libertarian Party, if you're listening to us, we were saying this at the same time, a lot of the good things he did, because he did very good things for our economy, but he did them the absolute worst possible way to do it. He did them through executive order. Yes. Because what that, that means me. is that the minute he's not in office, like right when Biden walked in, what did Biden do? He started overturning all these executive orders. Exactly. You know, the, there's a we're supposed to be a nation of laws, but instead we're a nation of bureaucrats. Yes. And you know, like overnight, the ATF agent, the director of the ATF, can just decide that they're going to reinterpret this definition 
And so you go to sleep one night, a law-abiding citizen, and you wake up the next morning, and because you own a certain specific attachment for a gun, the ATF director changed his mind, and now you're committed a felony just by owning it. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. And there was also... And I bet there's a few people listening like, I don't know what the crap he just said, but whatever it was is wrong. Uh, <laughs> That's right. I'm, I know. I must people. be wrong because I'm not a Republican exactly. or a Democrat. Right? Exactly. And most people don't even know there's another option. You know. A lot of people yeah, don't. Unfortunately. People, like. I think. I don't think I knew. Yeah, I knew when I was about five. About like that there was multiple parties, but oh, I, I, I still know people who think there's not even part. It's like you, you. It's like you're cheering for this team. You're cheering for that team. Like it's. Well, it, it honestly is, and, and I'll tell you, and I don't just say this because I am a libertarian. Before I ever even became an official member of the Libertarian Party, um, I, I I came to this conclusion through years of de- debating with my Democrat sister that, you know, because I was not a Republican, I didn't consider, my, I just considered myself conservative. I didn't consider myself an official Republican because, like, you take one survey of the actual party members and, like, you get disgusted really quick. <laughs> Uh, at the, the lack you, of, like, integrity that's in a lot of those politicians who they, like, you know, they, they campaign real loud on a, on a subject and then they get to D.C. and never, they won't even vote it out of subcommittee, yep. right? I agree on it. They have no backbone, no spine. Uh, so I never consider myself a Republican, but, like, you know, but listening to my Republican, uh, and, and not my mom or dad, definitely, but, like, grandparents and aunts and uncles, that kind of stuff, listening to that Republican perspective and then hearing my sister argue, you know, I would come around and, and I started realizing there really are only two parties, and it's the Libertarian Party and then the Democratic Republicans, because it's really hard to tell the difference between Democrats and Republicans. Um, I I started telling people fresh out of high school when I would talk about politics, as like, you know, the difference between a Republican and a Democrat is that Republicans want what Democrats wanted eight years ago. (laughs) Uh, In other words to say it is that, you know, they're both driving the car off the fiscal cliff. Democrats want to drive in fourth gear. Republicans go, oh, it's unreasonable. We should do it in second gear. Like same cliff, same same velocity, same direction. They just they want to do it a little bit slower. You know? <laughs> I understand what you're saying. And uh, you know, one thing I like about the libertarian party is they're very open. Mm-hmm. Like, and yeah, you know, I actually haven't gotten the chance to talk with you about this, but I really wanted to. When you see what's going on with this declassification of UFOs, mm-hmm. <laughs> which you know, I'm now I'm, we segue to conspiracy yes. theories. I'm a skeptic, but I love. I just lo- I it, love it, hearing it, about it's it. so fun. It's so I wish it was real. <laughs> I know it's not, but I wish it was. That would be yeah. so much fun. Well, the, 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 to me, you know, I and again, this comes back to me being a libertarian. Like the like my favorite thing about conspiracy theories, right? It doesn't matter if they're true or not. The it's kind of like a parable, right? Like Jesus told parables that weren't necessarily like they didn't actually happen, yeah. but they didn't have to happen to be true. And so conspiracy theories don't have to actually be real to be true. Like the goal of a conspiracy theory is to get you to. It's the same goal as like high school history class. It's to get you to think and realize you can't trust the government narrative. <laughs> I agree. You can't trust the media either. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like definitely like the UFO declassification thing. Like, it's, it's really fun. Uh, the real problem with conspiracy theories, right, is that we're running out of them. Like, they keep turning out to be true. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, I, I remember I, I'm being, waiting for, like, I'm waiting to have a dream that, like, an alien, like, I look out my window, there's aliens everywhere. And then I wake up one morning, there's aliens everywhere. 
Yeah. You know, it's like, I remember being your guys' age, and, like, a conspir- a good conspiracy theory would take, like, 20 or 30 years before, like, <laughs> the CIA would accidentally, you know, declassify a whole group of papers, and, like, someone happened to pick up one and was like, oh, no, look at this thing. You know? Bigfoot, yeah. And, and, like, now it's, like, six months to six weeks sometimes goes by. Like, you know, uh, satire websites like The Onion and Babylon Bee are like, oh, I love that. you know, satire now only 45 minutes ahead of real life news. Exactly. <laughs> I watched a video about that. There have been times that that what Babylon B. I don't. I don't. I'm not familiar with the Onion. Yeah. But Babylon B. What they has become true a lot of times. It's yes. like they're the sometimes first ones same to say. day they write the satire article and then like the the, the the real life actually produces the same thing an hour later. It's yeah. it's crazy. Which, yeah. No. Uh, I I don't I don't know if I have like enough faith to commit to you know extraterrestrial life. Yeah. Uh, if you think about it logically. Um, like, let's say from a Christian perspective, right? God creates the world. Yeah. He creates this expansive universe. And as far as we know, it just keeps going on and on and on and on. We don't, we don't know that it's finite. We don't know if it has ends. Um, there's even some, some language in the Hebrew that suggests that the, the heavens uh, stretch forth at his breathing. And it's like a present progressive. So it kind of hints at the idea that the universe itself is ever-expanding and yeah. growing. Um, so... God, who is a creative being, right? We 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 know he obviously likes to create things. He you're saying creative or create? Yeah. Okay. I create. Say, yeah. Create. I you say created. I was like, yeah. Who created all things? But he enjoys to create. Uh, you know, who's to say that there's not some kind of other life form on another planet? Uh, I, I don't I don't think it's impossible. I'm not like I there's definitely no like I'm not gonna make an objective claim there yeah. are no extraterrestrial life. But honestly, if it's intelligent, it will stay the heck away from Earth. You yeah. Know? That's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> aliens pass through our neighborhood and like they, they lock the doors and they come out. Who would who would want to come here? You know? Exactly. I think they all I think my only problem with that looking at it from a biblical if it hypothetically if it was true, it would throw last 5,000 years into whack. Mm-hmm. It would, because we have this basic civilization that we're the only life on this planet. Mm-hmm. And then also, when you do look at it from a biblical standpoint, well, okay, if God created us and has a plan for us, would he have a plan for the aliens? Would they be above us? Yeah. yeah. Well, we had. Well, we, we actually talked about that when it first came out on the podcast. Uh, would, he, would they be like above us? Would they be below us? Would they somehow be equal to us? It just it, it throws everything into a big loop, and then you would have to question everything for the last basic civilization. Uh, but you know, not really, because you know the government kind of came out and said there were aliens like a few months ago, and everyone was just like, "Yeah, we figured, but we've got other stuff to worry about." Yeah, like, you know, we have, an have you seen lumber? Have you seen lumber prices? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like COVID cases are going way up. I, f- I figured when they said that it was going to be a lot more like big topic everybody's gonna like go crazy and stuff like the area 51 thing just like what two years ago whatever it was the raid area 51 thing that did, they didn't raid it did they well, no but that, that was the the big oh the yeah, hype. yeah everybody was gonna yeah. try to raid it to like find i thought i thought that was gonna how it's gonna be but instead we just went crazy over gas shortages instead yeah of yeah and yeah, then yeah. covid came and then everybody's just <laughs> what aliens okay over here no because isn't that just like human nature to get all you know a hundred or so years of being obsessed with it and then we finally learn a bit of information like oh, okay that's cool figured you know. yeah anyway it's just I gotta like, go, it's just like go you catch just... up on my Netflix show yeah it's Netflix, just like okay yeah. screw you we got a pandemic to worry about you know I love the way that uh, you've been able to tie your faith into this mm-hmm. so you grew up in a Pentecostal church yes I did too for my own childhood mm-hmm. so where do you 
when I, when I hear the word Pentecostal, I don't have a problem with it, per se. I have a lot of uh, imperfect human ideas mm -hmm. that are attached to it. You know, I, and that's the way I think about all denominations. Yeah. yeah. But I have, I, when I hear Pentecostal, I think a lot of legalism. Yeah. Which, if you know anything about me, is something I'm strongly against. Mm -hmm. Now, you're not, now you're not into all that very much, are you, when you say, when you oh, get no, into Oh, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, so, so Pentecostalism, one of the defining pillars, uh, I took a class years ago, and I can't remember the exact, but there's like a good five pillars to Pentecostalism. And one of the biggest is the fact that the entire, uh, because when you go back to like the, the advent of the movement, like the start of the modern Pentecostal movement, you can yeah, have yeah, your yeah. your arguments about through history. There's kind of always been something out there, but the modern Pentecostal movement and churches that, that go by that name and, and category, um, they trace back to similar events. And you have two different origin stories, one with the Church of God in Tennessee and then the Azusa Street, which kind of eventually became Assemblies of God. Um, and, and regardless... Both of those traditions were steeped in what is called the Wesleyan holiness tradition. And holiness tradition almost always invariably ends up being legalistic. Yes. It, it comes down to do this, don't do that, or you're damned forever. Exactly. Um, and, and there's very little understanding of grace, yeah. very little understanding of of. of for pardon of sin, like they really don't understand a pardon, the, the idea of a free pardon of sin. Yeah, I think that, and that's amazing, you know, but like one thing I love about Pentecostalism, and not to say that it isn't this case with other denominations, Yeah. but, but I would say more openly with Pentecostalism, they all, just with them and God, just to be one with God, and very just relational. be open about it. Yes, very, very relational. relational. Yes, very relational. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like we could be a little bit more, I guess if the correct tone would be spiritual mm -hmm. and in other denominations because, you know, grew up yeah, in the so, so it's funny that you say that phrase because that was like in the early days of the Pentecostal movements, um, your argument against Pentecostalism, which tended to be Methodist and Baptist largely, especially in the South where we're at, was they would say, oh, well, we're the people of the book. Which, which they meant was the Bible, the, and it usually was the, the 1611 King James, and they meant to say that we, the, the Bible was enough for us, we don't need anything else. And the Pentecostal church, would their, their, their rebuttal was, we are the people of the Spirit, because without the Spirit, you'll never understand what the book's really trying to say exactly. anyways. Um, and, and that was the early distinction. Now, I would argue, because uh, I'm no longer a, an official member of a denomination that is Pentecostal nowadays. Uh, I, of course, I would consider myself because, like, you know, we, we have categories because they're useful, right? Yes. Like, poison is called poison, and you don't have to know the exact kind. You just know you know what it does, right? The same thing for flour, for spices on the shelf. We Labels matter because they, they're telling us something. Yeah. Uh, so I probably am Pentecostal because I grew up that way, and I think... Uh, or at least I have exposure to that worldview. Yeah. I, I know, even though I don't always live there myself, I don't put my faith there 100% anymore, I'm, I still am Pentecostal yeah. because a lot of the things that that worldview um, promotes or, yeah. or, or pushes, I, I accept. Um, and so, where was I going with that? Uh, people of the Spirit versus people of the book. Um, so, so what's funny is now being on the outside, like I grew up in the Church of God of Prophecy and the Church of God denomination, and almost every it. single Church of God and Church of God of Prophecy around here are now people of the book, right? Like they're not right. people of the Spirit anymore. 
they have become First Baptist with a jazzier worship set. Like, that's, that's it. And, like, no offense to First Baptist no. anywhere, but, like, that's what a lot of them yeah. have become. They have become, uh, and even in pastoral, pastoral leadership, like, you know, I would go and visit a church of God, and I'd find out that the pastor of the church is not even spirit-baptized. Which, you don't have to be, like, you don't have to be Pentecostal to be a Christian. I don't believe that way. I'm not a fundamentalist. But if you're the pastor of a Pentecostal church, you probably should, you know, have the baptism of the Holy Spirit experience of speaking in tongues or prophesying or something. You know, if you're pastoring a church who has this distinctive of believing that this is God's will for you, (laughs) right? Because, like, it's kind of like when you go to a church that believes God's will is to heal and then the pastor is continually sick all the time. Uh, Not not saying that, you know, because, I mean, no church that believes in healing believes that you have to always and will always be healed. But, like, you know, it's just one of those funny things, right? Like, to go to a Pentecostal church and no one practices the gifts. No one practices... Uh, anything, and and that's why I was like, I can just go to an Episcopalian church if I want this, you know. Yeah. And like their services are shorter, I can get out quicker and go on and get the dinner buffet, right. you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think that I agree with what you said, and uh, you know, I possibly go to a Baptist church. I love it. I love my pastor. I love my church family. I just love going to church. But there was, and now when you say spiritual gifts, you means the ones that are in Acts, right? Not Acts, what, the other book. Uh, First Corinthians. First Corinthians. I knew yeah. Paul wrote. Those are the distinctives that Pentecostals say yes. the gifts of the Spirit. Although really, that's a horrible way to understand it because even that word "gifts" there in First Corinthians yeah. uh, is in italics, which means it's not really there in the uh, original Greek. A much more accurate way to look at it is the what is spiritual. It's the things that are spiritual, spiritual markers. Uh, pneumaticons in Greek really just means what is spiritual, whatever is spiritual. Now, spiritual gifts, that doesn't just apply to just the Pentecostals, correct? No. Um, the Catholics practice it, especially charismatic Catholic Don't churches. Don't all denominations practice it? No. So you do have a segment of Christianity, and this exists really only in Western Protestant uh, you know, circles, uh, that is called cessationism. And cessationism is the belief that there is an an extra secret chapter and verse in the Bible where Apostle Paul, right before he died, says, And thus saith the Lord, all the gifts end now. I made that up. I'm, I'm making a straw man, or oh. just like before. Uh, no, they believe that all of the the miracles and the signs and the wonders have ceased. They have come to an end, and they're no longer necessary. And there's a lot of convoluted reasoning that they go into to explain how and why. Uh, but why wouldn't you put that in the Bible? Exactly. That's the biggest argument against cessationism, is that if cessationism is true, right, if God no longer speaks to people, you would kind of need God to send a prophet to say, hey guys, just a heads up, uh, starting in like T minus 10 seconds, I'm no longer going to speak to people. <laughs> but it never happened, right? Exactly. And so they, they camp out in 1 Corinthians uh, like chapter 14 on one little verse that where Paul is preaching, right? And he's using uh, a, a idioms, he's using phrases, and he's he's... In this, in this chapter, it's so funny because most cessationists uh, tend to also be Calvinists, and they tend to, like, brag and be very prideful about how exegetical they are and how you, oh, you, 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 you Pentecostals' problems are that you never stay in context. You take, take things out of context. Well, the context of the verse that they use to try to say God no longer speaks is in 1 Corinthians 14 where it says, For I tell you the truth, tongues shall come to an end, knowledge shall cease, but love lasts forever, right? So, and so they say, see, tongues will end. Tongues will come to an end. There'll be an end of tongues. See, it's right there in the Bible. And you go, okay, it also said knowledge. 
would cease. So, have you stopped knowing things? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's like the same people who say, and that's right, they say one thing is to be abolished, but they don't say the other thing. Just like in Leviticus, mm-hmm. the people who say, uh, we can't have tattoos. Well, have you eaten red meat? Mm-hmm. Have you cut your hair? So that's yeah. the way I look at it. Are you wearing polyester? If so, you then... You polyester? No, They had no, polyester no. Mixed, back then? Well, mixed fabrics. You couldn't take, like, the hair from a sheep and mix it with hair from a goat or something else. That was a mixed woven... And the reason is because they didn't have the technology to be able to hold it up. So <clears throat> fibers that are different coarseness, different thickness, are eventually going to separate from each other, and that garment's going to fall apart. You're going to rip people off. You're selling them what looks like a good shirt, but it's going to pull away. Now, in our modern technology, we have chemical treatments that... <clears throat> and the, we even have, like, like technology for blending uh, different fabric and garment stuff that... Um, <clears throat> our shirts fall apart for different reasons. You know, it's because of the cheapness going into them, yes. uh, but not because the the fibers themselves are synthetic. Now, exactly. But yeah, I feel like the, uh, yeah, people do take scripture out of context a lot, and uh, you know, I totally uh, believe that you know, in the spiritual gifts, I think that if uh, God has a message that He wants to tell people, it's it is nothing for Him to use uh, somebody, regardless of who it is, yeah. to uh, tell them. And uh, I think that's great. I think there was also, in the church, we've become so, I guess, establishment that, and so kind of in our own little clique where we, you know, we have the roof over us and the four walls, and that's where it is. Like, I know of a, a, a church in, outside of Sporting Ball that their motto is where his spirit dwells, like it's just there. Oh, yeah. But I think, I think, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I'm talking Us four and no more, yeah. Yes. But I think that... It's, well, there's, we there's a cult over in Gaffney, and it's not very big, so most people don't know about it, but they literally taught, or at least they did back in the, in the late 90s, they taught their congregation that literally their congregation was the only congregation in the whole world that was going to get raptured up, and that everyone else that was not a member of the church was going to die and go to hell. Wow. <laughs> That's... Well, we're going to be... Huh. Yeah. Wow. Because yes, I like... You know, Daniel and I were talking about this at church the other day, yeah. about... You know, not within the four walls. I mean, take church everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, church, I love saying this, and I know everybody says it's so Christianese, but I love saying it. Church is not a place, it's people. Yeah. yeah. Agreed? So, yeah, it's a gathering, in my opinion, of worshiping the Lord. And it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be, it could be held here if you wanted to, um, which well, it is. obviously yeah. it is. But, um, <laughs> and it could be held in church, which is obviously the most popular place, but. Building is a Home churches, you know, anywhere you want to, you could do it on the sidewalk out there. Walmart. Um, yep. Walmart church. church is just it's a gathering to worship the Lord. It doesn't have to be at a certain place, time, or uh, day. Yeah, Jesus said it best when he was uh, there asking the question about the Samaritan woman comes up, or they ask, you know, uh, you know, you're clearly a prophet. Uh, tell us, prophet, the truth. You know, our ancestors say that it's okay to worship God here on the mountain in Samaria, but the Jews, you Jews say that you have to go up to Jerusalem to worship. And what was Jesus' answer to her? He, uh, like usually, he would bypass the question to get to a better reality. And his answer was, I tell you the truth, days are coming when you will neither worship God in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. And spirit and truth can't be held in four walls. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, he went around and we'll, everywhere to yeah. teach. And, or to it's, not like, it's not like he brought, you know, he had, like, people behind him carrying this one tent where he teaches. Yeah, he wasn't he, Moses. It wasn't taught, the tabernacle. Yeah. He taught everywhere. And uh, I just goes to show it doesn't have to be at one place. The spirit of God can be with you wherever you go. Yeah. I think it's true. really good to share that with other people. You know? It's very important. But yeah, one thing, you, 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 
one thing I like about you, did you go to college? Yes. Did you graduate? I did not finish, but I have okay. actually started several different courses of study. Awesome. But I'm also very widely read, Yeah. even outside of college. So. Do you want to talk a little bit before, I don't think we have much time left, but do you want to talk about your ministry that you do? Um, sure. So how we ended up in Blacksburg, um, we were actually working with an international missions organization. Uh, they were based in Branson, Missouri, and that's so why we, we had moved out of South Carolina. We were out there for almost three years. And I was very happy, um, very tired, very busy, because like international organizations, like anyone who's ever been involved, I know Daniel is a pastor's kid, and I know you come from a family of, like your, your dad was a PK as well, Camden. And so you, anyone who's been close involved with ministry knows how much work actually goes on, yeah. like behind right. the scenes. It's very taxing. Um, and so we were, we, I was basically the administrative assistant uh, for this international organization that we would do crusades, we would do evangelistic outreaches, we right. would do trainings in churches, we would do revivals across America, uh, we would do outreaches in Africa, even gone some to Central America and these places. And um, so I was, you know, leading worship in the small group that we had there in Branson on, um, on Sundays and sometimes Wednesdays, and we'd have practice two or three times a week. We're doing conferences, we're doing these revivals, we're doing crusades in Africa once, twice a year. Um, and then I'm also, at the same time, I was, I was copywriting or ghostwriting uh, books and magazines, journals, uh, running the website for the organization. We're doing all these things. Uh, while also I had, we had two of our kids while we were out there, you know, so also holding the family together, trying to spend time with them, uh, trying to minister to people locally where we were at there in Branson, although like, good Lord, don't let anyone, if anyone ever tells you Southern hospitality is a myth, like they're lying to you. I've, I've now officially lived outside of the South and people not in the South are really not as friendly as people down here. Like we have mean people here. Yes. You know, it does happen. At Walmart. But like, I can tell you just as a cultural note, like we lived in Branson almost three years and I can count on my on one hand how many times we'd be like out at a restaurant eating and someone would like turn to speak or make a comment about our cute baby, right? Because like here, here in the South, you can't go to Walmart with us. We're like, oh, that's yeah. such an adorable baby. Right. What's their name? Oh, well, have a great day. You know, like, yeah. like it happened five times. So I lived there in three years and four of them were people on vacation from North Carolina. Because I would ask them. <laughs> I'd be like, you're clearly not from around here, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. Um, so we were doing all this stuff. And then um, that organization has a conference um, the first in January of every year that kind of start the year off right uh, called 10 Days of Glory. And we're like halfway through 10 Days of Glory. And uh, I'm sitting in, this con in, in a conference session. I can't remember if it's a morning or a night session. And I'm sitting in the back of the room. And I just clear as day heard the voice of God tell me, louder, clearer than anything I've ever heard in my life, said, you're to come back any time that they ask you to come back. And I was like, oh, my lightning fast mind goes, come back means I'm leaving. Okay, so we're, we're not going to be here then. And then so I go home and I start praying about it. You know, and about three or four days later, I'm in my office at home praying before uh, starting my work day. I've got a bunch of different stuff I'm working on, manuals and books that we're writing. And, um, and I actually had an open vision and I saw a map and I saw Broad River, 85 and the North Carolina state line and I heard the voice of God highlight to me a section out of Acts uh, where it was an instruction he was giving to Paul uh, or to Peter and and it said that it was telling him to settle down and to teach uh, to teach the truth about the the path concerning inheriting eternal life and what I heard from God in my sitting there in my office that day as I, I had this experience I saw the map saw Blacksburg clear as day and you know and I hadn't lived in Blacksburg uh, probably in like 10 years uh, at this time. Like I had not even been to Blacksburg in a long time. We had, I finished, I came back my senior year and finished out here, but I even, you know, moved away when I was 11. Um, 
And so, so I had this vision. I, I see Blacksburg, and Lord tells us to come back. He says to settle down here for at least, to commit to at least a year and a half uh, of just teaching. So, like, we, I'm like, I go to my wife. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work, but we've got to go back to South Carolina. She was all happy about that because she was not <laughs> having a lot of fun in Missouri. I can uh, see why she wouldn't. Her, all of her family's here, and, you know, again, people are not very nice out there. But, um, but, you know, so she was happy to come here, but I was like, no, we're not just going back to South Carolina. I was like, we have to figure out how to go to Blacksburg. Like, God told us that we have to go to Blacksburg. And, like, I tried to kick it back and push it off, and I finally had a dream. And I had a dream where I was asking the Lord, I was like, you know, because the ministry we were involved in did not have a lot of help. And us leaving was going to be a devastating blow to the workload because there was just no one to replace us yet. And, um, and so I remember, like, I was, like, bargaining with God. And I'm like, God, I know that we're supposed to be going, like, next month. I was like, but is there any way that, like, maybe six more months and, like, until you can send someone to replace us? And I remember hearing the voice of the Lord to me so clear tell me, he says, you can put it off for as long as you want. And in the meantime, bodies will start piling up. And it was like three weeks later, I heard about three suicides in Blacksboro Law in the course of two weeks. And so I turned to my wife and I said, get in the car and go now. You know? yeah. and, uh, and I sent my wife and uh, my two girls at the time on ahead. They went to their moms and I came out here for a while and I had to go back and forth a good bit traveling and you know, eventually make that big U-Haul trip, uh, bringing stuff in. But we, we came. And so we come to the town of Blacksburg and there is nothing. There's just, like, nothing going on. And I'm like, you know, God's telling me I'm supposed to get involved somehow in this community, that there's supposed to be people here that, that I'm supposed to kind of, you know, interrupt because <laughs> uh, they're on the path that's going to lead them to death. And I'm like, you know, how do you even run into people? Uh, you know, besides the fact that I'm kin to everyone in town because I am yeah. a Dover. You right. know, but I was like, you, you, know, you, know that, you know that cousins avoid each other, you yeah. know. Like, oh, it's a distant cousin, turn the other way, Go, duck down behind the aisles in Walmart. But um, so I'm like, I'm looking around and I'm just like, we're going to have to create a place for people to gather because there's nowhere for people to gather that's not already a church or like a private club, you know, because yeah. we have a, quite a few private clubs around here. But it's like, there's no public place to hang out. And, uh, and that's how Wisefire was born. Um, that's that's kind of how we did the coffee shop. I remember yeah. people asking us when we did our, did our grand opening, and they're like, this one dude walks in, and he's like, he's like, so, man, this is great. Like, this must be it. This is living the dream. Like, how long have you wanted to open a, you know, own a coffee shop? And I looked at him, and I'm like, uh, about two months, you know? <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. But hey, God had a plan, didn't he? Yeah. And, and it's amazing, because here we are three years later, and for starters, you know... Oh, yeah, I was just thinking, a year and a half, you'll still... It's been longer than a year and a half. Yeah. Yes, yeah, because uh, we're waiting for further instructions, you know. Uh, if you don't get new instructions, you, you finish on the last thing you heard from God. And uh, a good training from seminary. Uh, you continue doing the thing, the last thing you heard him say until you get new instructions. But, uh, yeah, so, so I'll say, in the meantime, um, you know, we have already put to bed, like, so many horrible antichrist thinking patterns in this town like when we came here the epitaph over blacksburg was blacksburg where small business goes to die and i remember when we had our grand opening like it literally came out of the mouths of over 20 people that i overheard and other people were telling me too oh that guy won't last six months down there um and so like i made my mind up i was like if we only last six months in one day it's gonna be one day just to prove them wrong (laughs) You know, and uh, and the other thing that's happened since then is we have had an incredible opportunity here on Shelby Street um, to stop a lot of very bad things from happening. Yeah, uh, we've helped some people get into rehab. We've helped some people get their life turned around. We've probably even saved a few marriages. Definitely stopped a few suicides. Um, and and we were contending, trying to be a force for good right here in town. Yeah, and not just down in town hall because that's the other thing people don't realize, like how many spiritual 
things happen in government, right? Like, just like God sits over the nations and judges the nations, you know, Christians are supposed to be paying attention to their local politics because the rules that go on down here at Town Hall are going to go out from Town Hall, cover this entire municipality, and it's going to establish or destroy some things. And, uh, you know, if your economy is in shambles, there's, there's a principle behind that. There's something causing that. And as Christians, you know, we believe that all men are created in the image of God, that everyone is deserving of dignity. And so if your local government is creating a, a system that is disenfranchising people and not allowing econo- like the economy to boom, like you have an obligation in my, my perspective as a Christian to oppose that government to roll back the, uh, literally the, the phrase in the Old Testament about the destroyer who seeks to, de- to destroy, the, the devourer who comes to, to swallow up things. And so I think, it's a, I think there's a Christian duty to oppose bad government. Just yeah. like we should support good government, like we have a duty to oppose bad okay. government because you guys know, like, if you guys wanted to get a job right now this summer in town, could you do it? The At my is, age? Yeah. At your age, like just a little small part-time job in Buffalo. town. Because you, you live, I know you live really close to kind of walking yeah. distance. I know Daniel's way out in Buffalo. Yeah. yeah. He couldn't walk to town. Maybe bike. But like if you wanted to just pick up a little yeah. summer job in town, the answer is probably not. Really? <laughs> yeah. not? Because there's no, think about it. Who's hiring in town? Right. Most of our buildings sit vacant. That's true. And that's a shame. <laughs> it's absolutely a shame. And so in most of our, like, one of the biggest, I'll I'll say this as a last closing statement, like, one of the biggest things we do wage war against here, uh, both politically, culturally, and spiritually, is depression. Like, depression is just absolutely one of the the hardest things. We're supposed to take a break real quick. But, yeah. What were you saying? So as we're saying, um, like, one of the biggest things we do battle against here is depression. Uh, it's the number one thing that grips this entire community, and that's not unique to us. You know, it's it's yeah. it's, a, it's become a global phenomenon, uh, just the day and age that we live in, uh, with all the hardship everywhere. But here in the Upstate, especially, or I should say, here in Blacksburg, um, almost anyone that lives locally has to travel to Charlotte or Spartanburg for a job that will pay them enough to still continue to be able to live here right. and there's still not really enough left over then left over at the end of the day to to advance or to improve your property or anything else and so that's that's one of our driving forces it's one of the reasons why like you see me you know like i close here right at seven on those tuesdays and mm-hmm. i'm down there at town council seeing what they're doing because the things that they do and also the things that they don't do are, are directly impacting this hyper-local economy that is encouraging and creating a lot of anxiety and depression in our community. Because there's just this, this, you know, when people drive through town and they see a building with a giant tree growing through it, and they see, you know, walls fall and fell down, and they see, you know, most of the storefronts are empty, that doesn't give you all happy, good, rushing, joy feelings. No. You know, it's uh, this no, joy that I have, not. the world didn't give it to me. Well, no. you know, the, the, the town of Blacksburg is definitely not giving any joy. Um, and, and that's changing. Like, we have new administrators. We have a lot of new positive things. I think our, our current council is one of the best ones we've had in a long time. Yeah. Um, but, like, we still need local people, and we need the churches to hold their feet to the fire because we've got to realize that the local economy affects the suicide rate. It affects depression. It affects, the you know, a lot of the teenagers that um, a lot of people don't know this. The number of high school or I should say student homeless rate in Cherokee County is very surprisingly high, and most of the schools aren't even aware of it. But the number of kids who their parents are dead or worse, their parents are drug addicts. And so they couch surf at a lot of their friends' houses. And you guys can probably even just be saying this. You're thinking of four or five names just off the top of your head of people that you know that you go to school with. 
And um, there's a lot of those kids that, like, I feed when they come in here, you know, and I'm, I'm handing them a snack, I'm handing them a right. water bottle, and I'm, like, you know, talking to other people, trying to get them some help. But honestly, there's not much we can do institutionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the things that created that, because, you know, my dad was a drug dealer for years, and this is what I'll end on, um, is, like, so all these kids that are homeless because their parents are either dead or drug addicts, right. I know them because their parents are usually bought drugs from my dad, and I know the circumstances that led to my dad being a drug dealer. And almost all of it comes back around to bad government decisions. Yep. It comes from government, you know, being too involved in some areas and then just hands off in others. Um, and, and when the economy went all to hell in the 90s with, uh, or I should say in the 2000s with uh, NAFTA, that absolutely devastated our area. Definitely. And so many people here by the droves turned to drug selling because they lost their jobs and they had kids to feed. Like most of the guys that were selling drugs for my dad back in the day were not doing them. They were just trying to sell them because they had two babies at home that were hungry and, you know, TNS Mills shut down. They lost yeah. their job. Milliken closed a plant, you know, this one over here closed. Yeah. And, uh, and those are government decisions. Yeah. And uh, I, I would say that's been my biggest driver behind being involved with government, being involved with the marketplace, knowing business, caring about the local community, and you know, caring about all these little minute things is because I know that, that they all add up to hardship and they all add up to the trouble that we see with gangs and gang violence, with drugs, right. with all these things hyper-locally here that, that are in, even impacting you guys, because I know you guys go to school with a lot of these of kids yeah. that are living yeah. this way. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, Black Spot, and I'll end on this, Black Spot is definitely a you know, we talk about it a lot. It has uh, constant posts, but uh, one day at a time, I guess. Uh, Thomas, right. you're a good man. You're a jack yeah. of all trades. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah we thank you guys appreciate for you having me. Uh, Wisefile, South Shelby Street. What's that, Jess? North Shelby Street. North Shelby Street. You say that every time. We really appreciate you having on. Um, we're looking forward to uh, having you again on maybe one day. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you all for episode 10. All right, thank you.